Last time on Video Night. This episode is a failure! <laughs> and now... Hello, Michael. Hello. Hi. Still with the robot voice, I see. <laughs> yeah, it's Kit. You keep calling it robot voice, it's Kit. He's a robot! What do you think he is? Oh, wait, no, hold on a second. He's a synthesized voice, not robot. Right. right. See? Anyway, anyway, that's that's a totally different episode. This episode is gonna suck. It's already sucking, but why? Why is it gonna suck? It's gonna suck because 1987 was the year of the vampire revival. And uh, we're at 30th anniversary, you know, hey, let's just dig in. Let's uh, see what we got. Well, what do we got? Nothing. I'm sorry. We're gonna cancel the episode now. Let's talk about werewolves instead. <laughs> well, werewolves weren't a thing back then, were they? 87? Well, they were. 81 was the year of the werewolf. We had Wolfen, Howling, and American Werewolf London, but that was about it. Uh, no, and 85 had just... Teen Wolf, and then was 87 I, in, in, Teen Wolf 2? Well, yeah, 87, okay, so Teen Wolf 2 was the only one that I believe was... When was Howling 3 when they were, like, all kangaroo-like? Yeah, I don't know. So, what do we got? What are we starting with? Not uh, werewolves. We're starting off with... Uh, but dude, could you stop interrupting? I am trying to get this podcast going, but you keep interrupting me, man. You're like, when, when are you going to do this? And I'm like, come on, I'm trying to watch The Lost Boys here. I will call you when I am ready to podcast. Okay. <laughs> that was it. All right. That's This episode does suck. This is the worst episode ever. I quit. <laughs> We're starting off with Lost Boys. Michael and Sam are about to discover a secret in California. Santa Carla's crawling with vampires. Stay back. Stay back. I'm your brother, Sammy. Help me. What's happening when you start? My own brother, blood-sucking vampire. You better give yourself a garlic t-shirt, buddy. Oh, you wait till mom finds out. Has anyone gone crazy here? The Lost Boys. Rated R. Lost in the Shadow. Hey, I had the album for Lost Boys. I had the vinyl record. Either I had it or my brother had it. And I would listen to only like four songs off of it or something. Did it have the one, I still believe, the guy the guy with the big muscles and the saxophone? Yeah, they had that song, but I never listened to that song. I've heard a different version of the song. There's... I wish I could find out. Tim Capello, he was like uh, the saxophone for Tina Turner. But I don't think he's the one that sang the original version. I was listening to a bunch of like 80s new wave music and I heard it, but it sounded completely different. It, not really heavy on the saxophone, more on the keyboard. Huh, I wouldn't know actually. I really liked yeah, the Echo it, and the Bunnymen song. Well, it's a Doors song, but it's a cover by Echo and the Bunnymen. At that time, I was just exploring and, and understanding the darker new wave stuff like Depeche Mode and Echo and the Bunnymen and things like that. New Order. So, I missed all of this. Completely missed all of this. You missed until, all of like, that? Like the last few years. Uh, yeah, I was just too young. We didn't, where did you grow up again? All over. <laughs> Oh, right, but at the yeah, time, Indiana, at the time you, I was in Southern California. You really didn't get new wave unless it was in movies. Oh right, yeah. Like, well, you got a lot of Boingo Boingo in the in the eighties. We did. I, I don't really feel like they fit in. Okay, so new wave changed in the mid eighties. It kind of either had like this carnival feel, like Fishbone, Red Hot Chili Peppers, Oingo Boingo. You know, Devo almost had like a carnival feel to it. But then it got kind of like the, the more moody stuff. 
Which at the time, and, and until a few years ago, I thought it was like, oh, mopey goth stuff. Uh, it's all the cure. It's not. It was. It was European. That's all it was. Yeah. It was. The, it was European influence. Uh, Depeche Mode, The Cure, New Order, Echo and the Bunnymen. They're all from UK. So it, that's all that was. I like. It was like a, It was like the new wave British invasion again. It always seemed kind of wimpy. You know, it, it, where, where I grew up in Indiana, everybody listened to hair metal. You know, really tough metal. You know, like oh, lots of Ozzy, lots of Motley Crue. So we didn't listen to any of that kind of stuff. I don't well, know anybody who did yet all our favorite movies play this my brother's a hair metal guy so he would take me to school he'd drop me off or whatever but our olive branch music was very often that music he listened to depeche mode and new order huh. and echo and the Bunnymen. those were his albums but they were on the down low that was only like around me that he would listen to i gotta tell you there was one because I, I couldn't i forgot there was one album that i listened to a lot and it was kind of like partially because i had a crush on a girl who it was her favorite band was yeah do you remember Yaz? Upstairs at Eric's? Yeah, Yaz. <laughs> Yazoo in the UK and Yaz in America. Yeah. So I missed all this. But it's funny, reflecting on the era of teenage movies, it feels like they're filled to the brim with this kind of music. And Yeah, so yeah. this this movie has the hairband stuff a lot like the lost boys themselves they look like a yeah a hair band except they look like a cross between like bon jovi style hair band and skid row or something they don't quite look like just a sunset strip band which was most of the hair bands anyway they were rougher looking yeah it's the not hairspray no hairspray because you know theirs was kind of a glam at this time because of the whole um motley crew kind of thing that was going on in la this yeah that's the sunset this strip feels stuff. I think it's because it's originally this is the weird thing is I just discovered this is that originally it was supposed to be about Peter Pan and the Lost Boys and somehow they had survived all this time and the only way to explain that was that they were vampires and that it was supposed to be more PG oriented and Richard Donner kind of wasn't feeling huh. it so he handed it off to Joel Schumacher and then the script got molded into what we know today well I like what Schumacher did I like that whole movie it's just solid all the way through except uh, the acting. The thing that bothered me was Corey Feldman, but then I was pointed to another theory. So, my assessment of Corey Feldman's character is that he was um, over-posturing, and it was just really bothersome. Like, the way that he does his voice, he's like speaking rough and yeah. gruff, right? And he's a little kid doing this. He's a teenager doing this, like, trying to seem like he's tough, right? And it was coming off insincere. But then I was pointed to maybe that was deliberate, you know, the posturing, the machismo trying to seem like he's got more I guess uh, he's more with it than without in that situation you know with knowing that they're vampires there but never actually confronting them <laughs> except that one time yeah. and well, I, crap. I feel like there's something deeper going on with this character which yeah. I wish they could had more time to explore but uh, you know he's running this comic book shop in a tough neighborhood and his parents apparently are just deadheads you know they they, they show it just real briefly that they're yeah, not they're, really there and I, that I'm, seems to be just a, a sight gag yeah I'm right? guessing that they're not really there his entire life and I think he might be the older one of the two and he's had to look out for his younger brother and that's why he does that posturing yeah so like it read as false but then maybe it was supposed to be 
false. You know what I mean? Well, yeah, because he's so scared later in the movie. Him and his brother, you know, they, uh, they're they freaking out even though they talk tough the whole time. The reality of the situation came and they're like, oh, we're just kids. What are we doing? <laughs> right. Do you get the feeling, this sound, it sounds bad to say this in, in uh, especially since he's already gone, but Corey Haim's character, do you think that his character is supposed to be gay? <laughs> yes. Thank you for going there. Yes and no. I think the character is a character who doesn't know who he is yet, but we were watching it again also i've seen this movie a bunch but i saw it a bunch when i was younger and uh favorite film theory i mentioned this elsewhere but favorite film theories now don't watch a movie that you might be your favorite just don't watch it watch it once leave it alone come back to it after years then you'll rediscover things so that seems to be the situation here where we're like rob Lowe, sexy poster on the wall but then there's bikini girls also on the wall well there's a poster in his closet of a guy with like no shirt on you're like what is going on that's here? rob Lowe. oh is it that I was thought, rob okay, Lowe. okay yeah so there's that and then there's sometimes he's dressed up kind of like an old lady who, who you might see shuffling off at a grocery store in her flower print outfit like he matches in that sense so i think maybe schumacher who is gay may have been working in some humorous the boy doesn't know stuff yeah. like he just doesn't but know. he also doesn't really address and it like directly which is nice right exactly so it's 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 just his environment that he obviously curated he has the stuff that he put on the wall himself and he dresses somewhat extravagantly he's um i don't know and i do think that that's intended that it's just like a little accent mark here and there with this character it may be simply that he's asexual even like yeah like it's not even like you can appreciate uh, the human form and all of its glory doesn't matter you don't necessarily have to want to have sex right with maybe that's what the character is who knows you know what's funny is we don't need to describe usually we have to describe what these movies are about but this this is uh, a true cult classic yeah not this no. one uh, lost boys there's only one lost boys by the way there's the two sequels i don't consider at all Really, I, I actually I don't even. mind them, even though the second one really does repeat the first one quite a bit, and the third one is just kind of strange. It's 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 got werewolves kind of in it, and it's got all sorts of like weird gadgets, and it's, he's like a James Bond guy now with all these like you know doodads that he makes, and they were just not at the same level. No, not, not even. Why was it so hard to get part two going? Because I remember reading in 1990 that Joel Schumacher was really like forcing Lost Girls like into production, and it just didn't happen. Yeah. Yeah, I really don't know, but those two, I don't, I can't even, I can't go near it. It's, it's akin to the two remakes of Fright Night. One of them is an actual remake with Anton Yelchin, and then the other one is a remake of the remake. Yeah, it's bonkers. You, and then you try to explain and to it's people. it's gender what, flipped. Yeah, you're like, well, hold on. So it's Fright Night 2, but then there's another Fright Night 2, but that Fright Night 2 is in a remake of Fright Night 2. It's a remake of Fright Night 1. I can't even bother yeah. with, Okay, like, I don't mind them. I actually like them. In that sense, you know what I mean? Yeah. I know you like them, but you're like you like so much and you <laughs> you like so much that you shouldn't like I know. objectively but you still do and it's you and it's fine because you're like the guy what did you say well, your sister said are you gonna try to watch every single movie that exists and your answer was yep <laughs> What I should have said was, well, people are strange. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, so Lost Boys is great. The brothers, I believe that they're brothers. Not the Frog Brothers, but the two brothers. Uh, Corey Haim and 
Oh, Jason Sam Patrick. and um, Michael. Yeah, I believe that they're brothers. They behave like brothers who don't hate each other, put it that way. Picking on each other, but without vitriol. That's nice. Right, right. Yeah, a lot of it's about the relationships. Everybody has this family unit in the film. It, you know, the plot is okay. Yeah, the plot's there, okay. There's certain stuff that it's, you're like, eh, It's kind it's of a pedestrian filler. thing. But in some parts, yeah, but, I mean, still action-packed. The, the movie moves. Yeah, no, I mean, it, it does, really but has, here's one uh, thing. The last half. Here's the thing that it needs. It needed more time between Kiefer Sutherland and Jason Patrick. It needed more time with that maybe Point Break style bro relationship. That oh, but that's what's romantic. in the second movie. No, okay. it didn't need to be romantic or bromantic, but it needed to build this no. faux bond and then yeah. break it hard. Instead, we got a really quick version of that, and it's just too quick for it to be great. So as you said, the plot is okay. But everything else around that is great. I love Edward Herman's fantastic. Diane Weist, the mom, is just delightful. Yep. When has she not been? Right? I haven't seen her in forever. Yeah, the two movies that we all know her from are Edward Scissorhands and Lost Boys. And she's just the best. Like, I'm jealous. I want a mom like that. <laughs> and I thought Bernard Hughes was kind of like more of a TV sitcom grandfather instead of a real grandfather. Uh, clever quips. and Well, he was, he was simply there just to burst in at the last minute, that sort of thing. That's why they only have him pop up every so often. Like, every scene is a cameo, even though he has like five or six scenes. But you said Edward Herman. Yes, man. That, when I first saw this movie, came out of nowhere. Of course, I was a kid. Oh, yeah, I never in a million years expected it. But, yeah. And is this the first vampire movie that introduced the forehead? Um, well, Fright Night has appliances, but his is more like, like an actual bat face. It's, it's completely yeah, different. Yeah, the forehead. So, like, I, I'm um, going to vamp out, and then the forehead wrinkles and the teeth bare. And that's about the makeup. So, Buffy... Yeah, the forehead. Well, and also Buffy they designed lifted the a bunch of that. They designed the teeth so he could talk. Yeah, definitely. But, you know, this is the first movie I think I saw where the teeth were completely, like... It wasn't getting in the way of them talking. I don't know how they designed them. But every time they go to speak, you don't have that, that thing where you're, like... Yeah, the teeth dentures. Are, they're trying to get dentures. over the teeth. Yeah, right. And the special effects are really good, but the nice part is the budget was small enough that, you know the opening sequence where it's from above and they don't really show it and then they yeah. grab the roof off the car? They didn't have the money for that, so they're literally just using a crane, you know, and then and whatever angles they can use to make it look like the vampire's flying in because they could not afford huh. to have them fly in. Which I think sets up, it's, 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 it's a Jaws rule, yeah, the less yeah. you no, see it was the better. Good. That was good and mysterious. I don't know if they really should have opened with that, but that's the Indiana Jones rule. Open with something big, and then go quiet, and then big again. It's like a Nirvana song. Do you know, it's strange. Whenever I see a video store in a movie, I get really excited. (laughs) You look on the shelves to see what's what's on the shelves? Yes, I try to see. You know, know, we've discussed this before. I had like 10,000 VHS. I'm like, I had that one. I had that one. I had that one. Ooh, that one's rare. I've never (laughs) seen it. You know, like I'm pricing it in my head. I do this all the time. It's ridiculous, but I love seeing video stores and movies. Yeah. This is the first horror movie I've ever seen, by the way. Huh, okay. Well, it's a no-brainer, really. Yeah, I like it. I dig it. And it still holds up. It's, it's yeah, it's like the torturous, um, which do you prefer? Monster Squad or Lost Boys? Some people love oh. our next film more than the Lost Boys <laughs> is, you know, they, 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 what, what? He, 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 he. I am going to make some enemies right now. <laughs> Uh-oh, you don't like Monster Squad. Know who to call when you have ghosts. But who do you call when you have monsters? We're the monster squad. What's a squad? It's like Miami Vice, I think. They're young and inexperienced. No 
Hey, virgin. They're a bit disorganized. Monsters are not real. We don't know that, sir. 2,000-year-old dead guys do not get up and walk away by themselves. But when strange things start happening in town... There's a monster in my closet. Ooh, look at that big, scary monster! What's happening? They're the only ones ready to do battle. Looking down there is killing people. And if it's monsters, nobody's gonna do a thing about it but us. By midnight, you they won't seem so young anymore. The Monster Squad. Wolfman's gone. I support. Here's the thing, Monster Squad. I do more than Lost Boys. No, I do not like Monster Squad. I have explanations, but you go ahead. Here's the thing. This is one of those where I went to the video store. It's the first time I ever went to the video store, like every day, and bugged the crap out of anybody that worked there. You got Monster Squad? You got Monster Squad? You got Monster Squad? I gotta see this because I had read it in. Okay, stop laughing. Teen Beat. My sister read Teen Beat all the time, and I. (laughs) Oh yeah, your sister. Your sister. No, no, trust me, she did. She did. I'm sure. But but. I would read them because I would like, I don't think she'll miss this Alyssa Milano poster. Ha <laughs> ha. Uh, but course. no, I, I, I would read them because, come on, they're all around my age, you know. You yeah, yeah. Know what th- it's weird that those magazines are always geared towards girls when guys want to know what's going on with their generation as well. And I remember seeing the summer movie preview and I saw Monster Squad and I was like, this looks awesome. It's just Andre Gower in the middle with a stake in his hand, I think, on his bike and the monsters around him. And I was like, that looks awesome. I have to see this. Yeah. And it didn't play i don't think it played anywhere near us and it wasn't even though i lived in very often either no this is a vhs that i rented i watched this three times the first day i rented it wow okay so you were of an age in which you could relate to the characters right oh yeah so i wrote i shit you not i wrote a script for monster squad (laughs) when i was 11? <laughs> okay. Well, I saw the trailer for it only on TV. Wolfman's got nards and all that stuff. And I was like, hey, that looks, in- I guess, interesting. And then I never saw it in the theater or anything. And I only saw it later when it was released on DVD. And I have that DVD. And I was fine with it that time. And then I watched it again. Maybe, I've probably seen it three times. But this last time that I watched it, that movie's just all kinds of dumb. Like, it doesn't, what, what you have a problem with is movies monster rules and this one doesn't necessarily have them exactly how it, my problem is with the camp like, okay so i went through a period where i was completely enraptured with the film and then i got older and i took like a gap like a five or six years where i, I had sold off my vhs for a ton of money and then i saw it again like on a bootleg widescreen dvd this is before it was available on sure. DVD, and i was like oh oh this isn't this is kind of stupid yeah it's stupid it's hokey yeah, there's, it's... Uh, there's just yeah, there's stuff I love, but it's also kind of jarring, like, because the way we condition now, movies like this wouldn't exist, except on, of course, now that Stranger Things is basically a love letter to Monster Squad and Goonies. Everybody says Goonies, but clearly there is some heavy Monster Squad I disagree. There. Really? I really see it as a love letter to... Yeah, no, no, it's the Explorers. And a little bit... I, and I know you don't quite like Explorers, No, I don't, but there's but a little bit of E.T. in there as well. It's the kids in the Explorers and the kids in Goonies, but it's more the Explorers' relationship where they're all really on the same page and they're not yelling over each other 
each other constantly. That's true. They yell at each other constantly in Monster Squad to the point where you're like, guys, I know this is crazy. And in Goonies. Okay, that's one. Let's let's break that down. The kids are supposed to be buddies, but they're always yelling at each other about who knows more about monsters. And they're also like using certain epithets that are not too uh, nice. Oh, and wow. They never were. You and I discussed this before. The 80s is layered with like kids and homophobia. What is that? Yeah, uh, because there's a stranger danger, the association of strangers wanting to do stuff with little kids, and you associate that with the deviant behavior, even though it is not to be associated with that. Ignorant people still associate that with homosexuality. So, children are what, by default? Ignorant, right? So, this is where that comes from, and it also comes from information from parents and media. And the media, for children, is constantly reiterating these quips and quotes and behaviors that are just art imitates life imitates art you know well i also noticed there's some shane black kind of you know of course he is the co-writer of monster squad now look around this area he did predator the same year where he did some touch up on yeah. the writing where he apparently wrote the lines for jesse ventura which are very homophobic he wrote now a lot of people miss this a lot of people miss this i think maybe it's in the director's cut but i've only seen the director's cut now for years instead of the regular cut lethal weapon do you remember lethal weapon when they're going up to the house and it explodes and, and danny glover and mel gibson go fly Flying back, and there's like the kids in the neighborhood, and Mel Gibson's on fire, and Danny Glover's trying to put him out, and Mel Gibson literally just goes, "Get your hands off me!" Some side of faggot or something, and you're like, "What?" Weird. But I noticed that in Shane Black's early movies, there's a lot of homophobia in it. Yeah. Well, uh, also the AIDS scare, so that added to you don't want to go near a gay person type of thing. Yeah. As a kid in movies, it's not even spoken of except for slurs and stuff like that. Or if you do have a gay character, he's a cartoon character, like in Mannequin. Yeah. Well, and I also noticed that every generation moves its person to make fun of. You know, it was black people for a while. Then it was gay people. Then it was Middle Eastern people. Then it was the prissy uh, preps and or liberals. And now it's the conservatives. It's always a new group that we're moving around to make fun of until we realize it's no longer okay. And then we move on to another one. We're just substituting. We're not changing ourselves. We're just moving ahead to the next one before someone else stops us. Yeah. Crappy, huh? It's pretty yep. crappy. So yeah, that's a problem that I have with the movie also. It's a minor problem in like bill and ted it's a very minor problem there's one moment in the first movie and then they address it in the second movie as a dig about how lame it was in the first movie there's a subtext to the second version where the evil villains call them i still can't believe people prefer the first one uh, over the second one the second one clearly is light years ahead of the first one i love the first one the second one is yeah yeah it's, it's so much deeper and darker and more thoughtful the first one is a hoot and it's all the way great in that sense but the second one has a soul to it that is actually even trying to trying to grapple with you know soul yeah. and do you think that might be so the problem it, it's, it's that good. might be the problem with the movies we're discussing today is because okay so uh, the first two movies we're discussing are very very simple streamlines you know it's point a to point b there's no complications there's no ambiguous behavior no you know someone who rides a line of good and bad but they're not phenomenal movies they're just one one is rethinking the vampire genre the second one is a reflection on the horror movies they love so much the third movie is very complicated and not as well received by fans by critics yes whereas critics kind of rejected the first two movies it's weird what you see between ages 10 and 25 seem to be a certain style of movie 
but then as you get older, hopefully you've matured and your tastes have changed. And yes, you can look at those movies with fun nostalgia, but you have to realize that there's something lacking. There's a lot of style in Lost Boys, but the substance is a little lacking. And then Monster Squad has a ton of production value. Amazing score. Pretty decent. Well, I'll tell you what I really like about Monster Squad is the lens that they use. It's very Carpenter. Yo, definitely. Whenever the background is out of focus, it's a beautiful out of focus. It's stretched ever so slightly, one way or the other. The lens flares are appropriate in the film as well. There's this very 80s Carpenter-esque going on in that film as far as the mise-en-scene goes. That's a film school term. Ooh, fancy. Anyway, there are things that I like about this. I like the Gilman suit. Oh. I do not like the Wolfman's face. No, but I love... The mummy is actually a really cool mummy. It outfit. is. I love Tom Grease as the werewolf. I He's barely in it, but what he does do, he does very well. well. Everything he is as John Grease is great. I love him, but the werewolf... The face is too tiny. Yeah. It's also too pointy. There's no dog nose. It needs a dog nose. Yeah. He, it just has a pointy You and I have discussed this nostril. numerous times. It's funny, we've never done a werewolf movie, but we've discussed this, I think, between you and me, is that the werewolf is so complicated. You'll see a great werewolf movie, but then the werewolf sucks. and, and Or the werewolf yeah. movie uh, is terrible, but the costume is great, or the transformation is terrible. Yeah. There's, there's, I've never seen a movie that have all three parts. Great costume, great transformation, and great movie. There's always something missing. Hmm. I can think of two of them, but I won't say we'll them. Do, we'll do a werewolf episode. we got to do a werewolf episode sometime. Yeah, so there's some stuff to really like. And I do actually like that they... I w- wish they made it a bit more obvious about the werewolf falling on a bomb. But they didn't quite make it so. Because he doesn't fall on a bomb. The bomb explodes in midair. I just wish they just let it go to falling on the bomb, you know? Yeah, I still don't understand. Uh, it seems like a cool idea that the body could come back together, but that makes no sense. I don't understand how it comes back together. It's not magic. Yeah, yeah, no, no. See? Rules, yeah. right? But Dracula, I know, whatever. He's a puppet master in this situation, so this is not quite a full-on vampire movie. And he doesn't quite bite people left and right, but he is the vampire pulling the, the levers. I wish there were more minions, more ghouls of people that he turned into ghouls or, you know, swamp dead. The dead rising out of the swamp because he's got this amulet or looking, whatever. He's got all yeah. these powers. Gilman pops out of a swamp and wherever they are. Isn't he from South America? (laughs) Yeah, you're right. The Amazon? (laughs) But whatever. You know what I mean? There's not a lot of brain logic going here. It's just a bunch of people who loved... And I I like Fred Decker's work. But it's a bunch of people who loved these old movies and they're just shoehorning everything in. And it shows. It it would work better if there was originally designed to be a Monster Squad trilogy. Focus on Dracula and his minions first. Then move on to another group of villains in the second one. But it is a little bit like... What's a House of Frankenstein? Where it's a bunch of monsters that got together. Yeah, here's a TV movie that I've been looking for forever. Yeah, I don't think it's it was it. in 1997, a two-part miniseries with Adrian Pazdar. It was a remake of House of Frankenstein, and it was pretty good for what it was, but I can't find that damn thing anywhere. So I'm not a child, so that's why Monster Squad doesn't appeal to me. I wasn't a child when I saw it. Oh, that's right. You saw it much later. That's how I feel about a lot of movies. What was I watching that um, everybody was like, how could you? Oh, uh, never-ending story. I just saw it for the first time this year, and I was like, eh, eh. See, I have affection right, for never-ending story because and- I watched it all the time as a kid 
So I, I get it. Yeah, I get it. yeah. Mod Squad, great production values, and there's some interesting ideas. But you're right; it's kind of a hodgepodge movie. I can see now why it flopped. At the time, my brain was like, "Oh no, how could this not be the biggest movie ever?" <laughs> hey, <laughs> look, Monster, Monster Squad <laughs> resonates with some people because there are certain child archetypes in it that are represented. There's Bat Kid. There's Tough Kid. There's two regular Goober kids. Also, here's my biggest gripe: they're all virgins. All of them. They can all read from the book. When does virgin mean woman? Yeah, that's what's kind of strange, huh? Oops, I ruined the movie. Oh, wait, but. now, hold on. You, you think Rudy was a virgin? I don't know, man. Rudy was the coolest kid in school, man. The coolest kid in town. Everybody I, I, I don't know. I just know that he was oogling the girl through the window, peeping Tom style. And also, I get, you know, including that stuff in movies because it happens. Yeah. But it's almost presented as a <laughs> As opposed to, oh, come on, kid, you know, yeah. including casting a playmate as the sister. Really? I didn't know that. Yeah, I'm pretty sure she was already a playmate. Huh. Yeah, uh, so. so Near Dark is our third movie. Caleb Colton no longer belongs to our world. We'll give him a week, see if we can call him one of us. He belongs to hers. But you have to learn to kill. He belongs to theirs. I want to kill. He makes a kill tonight. And they all belong to the night. Nerves. I would be too if I were you. Near dark. Could be your boys falling in with the trouble. Check out time. Watch yourself some time, son. Near dark. Gray <laughs> or daylight. The night has its price. Another one, just like Monster Squad. You had problems with this. Movie I did. This time. When I first saw it, I was fascinated with it. I gained respect for it. Huh. So, Monster Squad, Near Dark, both from very small new studios, you know, trying to get some sort of breakout hit. Both were struggling for something. Vestron, <laughs> oddly enough, the next month they would have a huge hit with Dirty Dancing that would save their butts. But Dino De Laurentiis' company was struggling hard, and, and Near Dark is kind of the end of its run. Uh, so they didn't really have the money to promote and release wide, so I think that's why it didn't really get noticed, even though critics liked it. If the movie is not out there for people to see, they're not going to go, you know? It's, it's something they'll discover later on video, which is why the, the prior film in this film became so well-known on video. Okay, well. Well, I have known of Near Dark since the internet, and I've known that it was a legendary film. Like, cinephiles love the thing. But every time I tried to watch it, I would fall asleep in the first act just bored me. The first time I heard of this movie was Entertainment Weekly did a vampire special because Dark Shadows was being rebooted. And they were like, what are the best vampire movies? And some. this is when I first heard about Lost Girls. You know, that was back in 1990 that they were going to try to launch it. And they showed a picture of Bill Paxton with half his face gone. And I was like, holy crap, what is that? How's that in a normal magazine? Yeah. So I had to... I, did, I hadn't heard of it. But I couldn't find it for a long time. I had not heard yeah, of it. Yeah, it took... Because this is back yeah. when you had to search for VHS. And if it wasn't in my town guess what i wasn't seeing it because i couldn't drive right and you're probably your library system didn't do the videos no no or, no we had, we had hardly anything yeah so this time that i watched it dude i was falling asleep again dang it at the first third i was just starting to doze and i was like no damn it watch the dang movie so i resituated myself and i watched the dang movie and wouldn't you know it's pretty good pretty 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 good no i actually disagree this time 
I, I actually liked it less this time around. I know. I wanted. I want you to talk to. I mean, everybody knows probably who has ever seen it. Probably why I would think that it's good. But tell me why you don't think it's as good as you used to think. Bill Paxton, I thought was amazing when I saw it in high school and college. You know, but now I'm like, oh, he's just a line spouting machine. It's kind of annoying. There's not really a lot to him. He's just. Oh, what cool smart-ass thing can he say? I got a huge problem when they have the showdown at the, uh, what are they in, like some little shack? And he's like, here's the knock, and he opens the window, and he's like, ah, daylight! You can see the daylight through the curtains, stupid. Like, literally, I can see the light. They show it on camera. How did he not notice this? <laughs> <laughs> okay, so that that's just a continuity error or something. Yeah, that and Adrian Pazdar's character says, God damn it, did it. God damn it, did it, did it. Over and over and over. Him and Jake Busey are apparently in some sort of universal contest to say that over and over. <laughs> uh, okay. Well, I found it to be rather interesting. And Tim Thomerson being in a movie that's good? Wow. Good for him. I mean, he's got one. <laughs> Oh, you know, I could. I was gonna argue for a minute, but I started thinking. I was like, "Well, doll man. Well, trancers. Well, the wrong guys. Well, you know, he is an uncommon valor, and uncommon valor is a fantastic." All right, so maybe he's got two then, but that's two. that's <laughs> two among many, you know? Yeah, among so many. Well, Air America. I like Air America. So uh, I'm, but he, I some of his movies are campy fun. You know, they're not. And everything he did for Empire Pictures. Yes. Cheese. Cheese, dude. And this is not cheesy in the slightest. The blood transfusion bit. That This is the part that bothers me towards the end. When she's running away and he's been cleaned and everything. Why didn't he just say, I have a way to cure you? Yeah, definitely. He doesn't do that until way, way, way later and all that. But he doesn't do it at the opportune time. It's like sitcom rules. When somebody bursts into a room and it looks like you're getting filleted by a teddy bear. And you're like, it's not what you think. And it isn't because the context, you know, is just this little window that the person sees. Oh, crap. And then explain no you cut away to a commercial and then embarrassment and all this stuff communication is key is my point yeah yet he doesn't communicate with her no come back no don't go so that was my frustration right there i mean obviously bill paxton's hit or miss to me in this time of his career he was the obnoxious guy so that i'm kind of with you on but the movie overall is fine i just that one part frustrated me just tell her you can fix her. Do you her. think the kid's weird? It's it's truly disturbing, that kid. That, that's Jason Patrick's little brother, right? Yeah, half-brother, but yes, Joshua Miller. Right. Like, I'm just watching the whole time, just like, uh, uh, uh. Like, every time I saw him around that time, it was just kind of creepy. I can't believe he wrote one of the greatest horror movies of all time, though, The the Final Girls, which I absolutely love. But his acting left a lot to be desired. When he was a kid actor in these movies, for a long time, really annoyed me. Like, he's the only reason why i know he's not even a reason why but he's the only thing i like in teen witch is him and his performance in teen witch is crazy top that he's in meet the hollow heads <laughs> and he's very interesting in meet the hollow heads everything he does he's very interesting he's in river's edge this time where he's acting as a kid like get the kid who's like a scuzzy scumbag kid but he's fascinating and I used to hate him. I used to can't stand him. But I grew up and I realized his purpose in these roles. And so it's very, very interesting. So, but he's like a super old guy. He's like 70 years old and he's trying to keep a, the guy's sister who is a 12-year-old. Why would you want that? Why would, well, I know what it 
was like being 12. That was creepy. I would want a woman. I would want an older woman. You know, if you, if, why would you want a little kid? It makes no sense. <laughs> the idea was get somebody who he turns at his same age that he was turned and so she's forever 12 years old he's forever 12 years old it's a weird kind of logic so that he has somebody who doesn't remind him that he's forever 12 years old if she's Uh older Okay. You know what I'm saying? Okay. It's gross. It's not cool, but that's the logic, I believe, if you can call what it What I that. do like about the movie is that it changes the idea of vampire movies. So they're not elegant and beautiful. They're dirty and filthy and, you know, they're they're white trash. You know, it's just, it seems like people who would live on the fringes of society right. really wouldn't live in these big castles and huge, wonderful gowns. Right. And so they're nomadic. They're just, yeah, and, and that's how they hide. They hide in plain sight, but they look like they're homeless, you know, white trash. Also, though, it they don't have the teeth. This movie doesn't have the they don't teeth. Have, oh, you're right. I didn't even notice that. Holy crap, I didn't notice that before. They just rip. Yeah. So Now, there's two movies that kind of took a little bit of this idea later. Uh, John Carpenter's Vampires, where they're dirty and disgusting. They hide in the, the sand or whatever. Yeah. And one movie, though, is a direct... I cannot believe that they have not sued. Catherine Bigelow and Eric Red should have sued the shit out of the guys who made Forsaken because they clearly ripped off The Hitcher and... Uh, yeah, but no. Yes and no. It could have really been a sequel, but it's a different story. The same type of vampires, but these vampires in Forsaken forsaken half things and the eyes change yes so but if john carpenter is gonna win for lockout you know i don't believe then, john carpenter yeah. should have i think that was a bs no move. no you're right i guess yeah you and i argued about that before lockout is a different enough i don't understand still how he won but i, I would say forsaken in spirit is much closer to near yeah, dark yeah. And yeah but i like forsaken too so and i saw that when it came out and i do like forsaken i do i wish there was a forsaken too because i like watching those two actors together brendan fair yeah and, but um, now now they're like old gray guys it's funny but okay so the last movie that we're gonna talk about yeah it's a, okay it's a stephen king uh, not adaptation but inspired by the works of stephen king. you know what's funny is we should t- now we should t- i watched the first one did you oh ever of see course the first yeah one? and i've seen the remake quite a few times actually this is black of me i know this i know this going in but i like it better the remake the one with rob lowe i think is fantastic much more entertaining yeah i I, I saw like an episode when it was airing and i don't remember seeing any more of it but the the original by toby hooper salem's lot has some really great scenes but the overall it's kind of pedestrian and clunky but the scenes that are great are the hovering at the window scenes which have been since ripped off, in particular by Buffy the Vampire Slayer. But the vampire, Mr. Barlow in the first movie, the big bad vampire, it looks like Count Orlok from Nosferatu, he's featured on the cover of Return to Salem's Lot. This town is dead until after dark. Welcome to Salem's Lot. Stephen King brought them to life. Vampires. Now. What are you doing here? They rise from their graves again. As only Stephen King could create them. A Return to Salem's Lot, directed by Larry Cohen. Yep, and that's annoying, isn't it? Yet he's not in the movie at all. Uh, one iota. It's a guy in a big rubber mask. Do you like Larry Cohen movies? Nope. I've tried so many times. People are like, oh, it's like punk rock horror. And I'm like, uh, I don't I don't, I don't, don't like it. Uh, I just watched the It's Alive trilogy like a month ago. Eh, 
It has great. It, it has really great character actors, but the movie sucks. Q, I really. Yeah, I can't stand. I it. really want to like Q. I like Michael Moriarty because he's strange. He's got David Carradine, Richard Roundtree, and a giant nope. stop motion nope. creature. I just don't. No, nope, nope, nope. The stuff. Garbage. The stuff. <laughs> The stuff is a really interesting blob and zombie idea, and then it, it gets, like, broken. No, like, I just don't like Larry Cohen. I remember seeing the cover for the stuff, and the cover for the stuff captured my imagination, made me go, what? And I was always magnetized towards or attracted to that cover, just being magnetically drawn to it. Well, I remember... But, you know, New World Pictures went out of... Then I saw the movie. Yeah, New World Pictures went out of business, and they had sold their catalog off to Star Maker. Do you remember this at all? Like, the star, the gold label? No. Um, you would always find them in Kmart, no. oh. Walgreens. Okay, yeah, yeah. And, and they're always, like, in the $5 yeah. bin. And I wasn't allowed to buy horror movies, but I was always looking through them, because I, I, I would read the descriptions, look at the covers, and that's how I'd get my horror fill. And I remember seeing the stuff yeah. for, like, a decade in those bins. Apparently, nobody wanted to buy it. And it's like, whoa, what a cool cover. Holy moly. And then you watch the movie, and it, it's kind of stupid. Yeah. It has so much... <laughs> it's, like, really it stupid. It seems like it has, like, a, the satire thing going, and then it just falls apart. It did, but uh, also Michael Moriarty, who's in the stuff, who is in Return to Salem's Lot, he is the weirdest actor for these movies. Love him. Love him, even though he's not even appropriate for most of the stuff that Larry Cohen cast him in. I love watching him work. He's just on another planet. Yes. Okay, so like he's a Law and Order guy, and I was first introduced in the Law and Order series. That's how late to these movies that I got. But in the Law and Order series, I'm like, he's whatever. <laughs> he's just a lawyer or a DA or whatever. And then these movies, the stuff first, it's like he's a proto Bruce Campbell style acting. That like it seems like Bruce Campbell picked up on some things that he was doing. I'm like, what? This weird swagger and cavalier and like he does. Yeah, you're right. He's on a different planet. And then he's just awful character and an awful person in Return to Salem's Lot. He's a bad person. Documentarian. No, no, no. Go ahead. Let them sacrifice. Let's no, not interfere. Right? In this fact, get closer. <laughs> get the bloody gore. Uh, it reminded me uh, that of Cannibal Holocaust in that sense. Uh, where have you, uh, have you the seen exploitation. Cannibal Holocaust? Yeah. How, you? Yes, sir. I never in a million years would expect you would watch that. I'm never going to watch that movie. No, no, no. Okay, don't. But my nephew is a gore hound. He's into Fulci, he's into all that stuff, and he ordered it a bootleg on eBay, and it never came, right? So he contacted the guy, and it was like, hey, and the guy sent it to him again. So he gets it in the mail, and then he gets the original order in the mail. So he has these two copies, and he's like, uh, Andrew, you want this? And I was like, I guess, I'll take it, I guess, I don't, uh. So I watch it, and I'm permanently scarred. Killing animals on film for entertainment value is the worst. Killing an ancient creature for realism's sake. A turtle. A giant turtle. Oh. Killing that. Making your actors, coercing them into it or else, whatever the threat was hanging over their head, is deplorable. Killing a muskrat. Just right there, taking a ah. knife to its gut on camera. And this is the documentary crew that is down there shooting. Yeah. So shooting their footage of the tribes. That's them. That's how horrible they are. Michael Moriarty's character reminded me of those guys to a lesser extent. I'm grossed out now. I just think about... So my horrible description served a little bit of a purpose. Yeah. Horror is one of the first genres to really get exploited on video. You know, that's where Cannibal Holocaust, I don't think it ever, I don't know if it ever played theaters. There's that Faces of Death 
that, which was horrible. Horror has always found its way into every new format to be, it's either that or porn. Warner Brothers was toying with the idea of making direct-to-video movies. They had acquired a few titles that they would put on video, but nothing that they made themselves. They went to Larry Cohen and said, hey, we want another It's Alive movie. And they said that it was going to be released in a, in a small amount of theaters, but it was originally designed to be just direct-to-video can you know, just fodder, just to throw out there on the shelves. Right. He said yes, but they had to fund another movie. Why would he choose the second movie to be this movie instead of original production? I don't understand. Uh, if it's Warner Brothers, it's because it's something in their catalog that they think that has a built-in audience. Because it did. The first one is a much beloved thing. And in, in, in its time, the first one was what it is for the it generation. That's what I think. <laughs> That was a weird silence. <laughs> I, uh-huh. <laughs> I'm talking about It the miniseries. Yeah, so, so I, I guess they were just trying to test the wire to see if this would work. So you um, take something I, that, ha that has some sort of tried and true legs already. Vampire movies are, can be cheap to make. They, I mean, basically, it's like a zombie movie. Just cover them blood. Uh, or just give them fangs. What's missing is what's magical about vampire movies. You know, the flying, the weapons that you can use against them. Well, it's, uh, the this movie's weird. He's saddled with his son, who is a troubled youth. And they go to the only place that he can think of, because he's he's always traveling, so he has to settle down a little bit. So he goes to this property that his he's been left and it's dilapidated and it's in salem's lot now this ties in with the first one because when he was a child he, apparently his character was in the original miniseries as a character that we never saw never spoken like of. like 30 years prior i mean the movie yeah wasn't yeah set. yes it's yes as a child he was sent away <laughs> at his aunt's uh behest who knew about some crap that was going down so she wanted him to you know flee so he was sent off to some boarding school or whatever then he becomes the a-hole that he is with the horrible kid that he has and then they move back and they have this property and then they end up meeting her later on again and she's an older woman but she's not nearly as old as she should be and she's a vampire because the entire town is vampires except for the people who'd run the shops and the gas stations and stuff like that those are the familiars but they're like they're automatons and i think they're born they like create them weird i, I always think it's funny that it's like most of these vampire movies have the uh what do you call them the the slave person yeah the familiar over them during the like day. it's a familiar it's familiar. a it's it's uh the renfield concept but then each movie has a different way of interpreting it like fright night he was like a ghoul yeah same thing for vampire in brooklyn I, I, the familiars in Return to Salem's Lot, I, they're pretty much just normal people, right? Here, they're like they're like clones. That it's like they they get birthed, but they don't have any vampire powers. They're just kind of strong and dumb, and they do what they're told. It's very strange. It's actually an interesting concept in this really whack movie. But there's a scene um, that has a bunch of punk rockers that get killed. That seems I feel like weird. There's a lot of movies like this where. And it always funny. seems like there's a movie like this, like they bring in bikers or punkers or something like, oh yeah, we don't like them, society hates them, let's just kill them off. <laughs> well, the girl, her, her behavior is hilarious. Like, she's so mocking the constable. Like, don't ever go to Salem's Lot. Don't ever go to Salem's Lot. Salem's Lot. You both play. Sorry, man, you're making it worse. 
What are you doing? She's asking for all kinds of trouble, literally, by being such a punk and a brat. And it's actually funny acting that she's doing. It's weird. This whole movie's weird. Every Larry Cohen movie is filled with so much awkward behavior. Yeah, I think the last movie of his that I saw is the only one that I saw. Original Gangsters. No, he wrote, <laughs> not that he directed. And that was Phone Booth, and that was fine. He wrote. Cellular yeah, is he, awesome. Is that. He, cellular's, cellular's after uh, Phone Booth. Oh, I saw that too. But did he direct that, or did somebody else direct it? No, he just he just wrote it. Yeah, yeah. So as a writer, well, Schumacher directed. Yeah, phone, phone booth. booth. As a writer, he's yeah, okay. he's maybe better uh, letting somebody else Definitely. handle the material. But when he does it, I just cannot stand it. I don't think he has the patience. That's the problem. I think he's like the Albert Pion. You know, those guys that just like let's just get this movie made. Let's get the movie made. I don't want I don't want to deal with pre-production. I don't want to deal with long shoots. I just want this done and over with. I want my money. I want my money. I want my money. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think that's it. That's the end of the show, folks. Yeah, I think, I think that's it. You know the ones we like. You know the ones we don't like. It's kind of like a, it's a and two for two, right? Two we do, two we don't. Yeah, kind of. Give or take a little bit. I mean, if you had asked me five years ago, I, I would have said three. You know, it's funny is that we weren't going to do Return to Salem's Lot because we're like, can we find one we like? We're like, well, let's fudge things a little bit. Let's, yeah, let's, but it's just too whack. It's too whack to yeah, not talk about Yeah, we were going to talk about Vamp. Included. Remember, we originally were tossing that one around, and uh, well, I was like, well, let's stick to 87, but it's like, yeah. well, it came out on video in 87. I think I didn't think that's yeah. cheating, so no. <laughs> but it's like a juxtaposition. Like, here are some that have good things in them, but this one doesn't have anything good in it. Almost. Except the crazy whacked out performance by Michael yeah. Moriarty and his son. The sun is just nuts. Okay, done. We're done. So next month is a kind of a mini set. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's the Thanksgiving stuff. You guys can figure out what we're going to watch. There's really, there's really not a lot. I don't think of... we need to tell you. Yeah, I mean, there's not a lot of Thanksgiving movies. Not a lot. I mean, I, I still want somebody at Sci-Fi Channel to greenlit my script for the giant shark turkey hybrid film called Trip, trip Defense, Defense, right? But it's not happening. It, it won't happen. <laughs> yes, I want Trip Defense. It's not going to happen. <laughs> well, I want Val Kilmer, damn it. <laughs> All right, folks. Have a good night. All right. Good night, everybody. I am going to make some enemies right now. Ooh, fancy. But they were on the download. <laughs>